Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Ryan Glasgow, CEO and founder of Sprig. In this episode, we talked about the pros and cons of the different stages of company growth, how Ryan took his experience at the zero to one stage to build out Sprig, and how Sprig solves the tension between user research and the speed at which product teams move today. We also discussed why churn and retention always comes back to user onboarding, how you can determine which action to focus on for your user onboarding experience, and the considerations to be made between single player mode and multiplayer mode during onboarding. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's a pleasure. For the listeners, Ryan is the founder and CEO at Sprig, formerly Userleap, an all-in-one product research platform that allows you to capture in-the-moment insights from actual users with video interviews, concept tests, and microsurveys. Prior to founding Sprig, Ryan started his career in web development and served as a group product manager at Weebly that was acquired by Square. He was also a founding team member and product manager at Verb that was acquired by Snapchat and held other product manager and product design roles at Graph Science, Shop Apparel, and Extra Bucks. So my first question for you, Ryan, is what stage of a company's growth do you enjoy the most? You've been through a few acquisitions, seen companies grow from 40 to 400 employees. Like, Where is your sweet spot? That's a great question. Prior to Sprig and actually Sprig itself, it's always been in that zero to one phase. And so helping companies in many cases, write their first lines of code, get their first users, get their first paying customers. That's how it was at Verb, Extrabox, Graph Science very early on as well. Um, a company that I was very involved with very early on, Livefire, that was acquired by Adobe. It was also pre-product, had not launched yet, and really was involved in the first version of that product. And so most of my experience, including with Sprig, has been really that zero to one phase. Weebly was the only standout where it was already a fantastic business that was growing quickly and helped really scale that company to around 50 million accounts when I left. And what is it about if you had to compare the two going into Weebly, like scaling versus zero to one, um, which part do you enjoy most? And what would you say is one of the bigger differences between the two? The zero to one phase is can be very frustrating. And I've actually almost considered this analogy where you're standing in the middle of a forest and you don't know which way to go, you're lost and every direction looks the same. 
you can probably talk to a lot of early stage founders and they really have that feeling of there's so many different directions you can go in the early days and there's so many different other products out there. And maybe with Avrio in the early day, building that product or past experiences, you might've sensed 180 degrees and in, in, in really any direction could be a viable path. And so the challenge though is also appealing. I unfortunately like really difficult challenges. And so for better, for worse, and so the zero to one has always been the most rewarding for me, really digging out of and finding that path when you're lost in that forest and starting that company. But I'll say the hyper growth is also the most fun as well. And so that's what stood out about Weebly is that prior to Weebly, I had four experiences of zero to one that were just very difficult. You know, we made it out of the woods, we found our path, but I was looking for a break and looking for some more of that rocket ship experience where it's more about hanging on and making sure that you're really just stoking the coals and watching that growth and making sure that everything is up and to the right. Yeah, I see that. I think like when I was trying to think about like, why I went ahead and started a new company again, like uh, chatting to my wife and friends and whatever. It's, it, it is about that challenge. I think that you have in front of you of going from that zero to one, as you put it, it's like, there's a problem out there. Can you figure out a solution to this problem? Can you help people? And like that challenge of trying to figure out, can you meet uh, the needs of the end user and stuff? I think for me is probably the most exciting component. And like you said, there's always like a plethora of different directions you can take things in and just trying to navigate and figure out which is the best. I also see the analogies of the rocket ship trying to keep things going on, spending the time at Hotjar. Like we had some extreme rapid growth there and it was, it was almost like a break for me as well. Like joining Hotjar at that point, it's just like I needed to recharge. We need to learn uh, a few things as well and improve. So I see that. Talk to us a little bit about Sprig. What was the motivation behind it? Coming off the back of Weebly, how did that experience play into it? And what is the big idea there? Looking at my experience prior to Sprig, it was really focused on picking the right problem space. What is this, what's the mission of this company? What problem is this company solving? In many cases, in the companies were so early, the product completely changed. The problem space was really the only dimension that remained true. But the second dimension that I know is with all of those experiences, you know, all five of those companies were successfully acquired was really around understanding the customer and putting user research first and really looking at what was working and not working about the product experience and the customer experience and really that customer centricity. And so wanting to, you know, start a company as a founder, I thought about how can I really unpack what was working and not working about those prior five experiences, but build a platform for anyone from writing their first lines of code all the way through to publicly traded companies that we work with today and everyone in between to have that platform where they can deeply understand their customers and really unlock the insights between the people building the products and the people using the products in a more systematic way. Nice. I like that. So really taking your past experience of that zero to one, how to get people get there, but then also at the same time, like seeing how that same problem scales throughout as the companies keep growing, you just need to keep learning more and keep evolving. And it's interesting as well, like when I joined uh, Hotjar as well, was like nearly about 20 uh, something employees there. And it, I was amazed by how far like Hotjar had gone really just on user feedback and interviews and stuff for the data analytics company. The data analytics wasn't, wasn't amazing. And it really, I think it speaks to like the early days where this is the key thing is really just speaking to customers, understanding you should never stop speaking to customers, but even more so in those early days, like you can't really rely on data analytics. It's like not going to give you great information. There's no great signal. So 
as a tool, user interviews and uh, research in general is it's the biggest and, and best place to start. I think often maybe startups have optimized on metrics and analytics too soon and try to make decisions based on them. But really what you need to be doing is speaking to customers. And I like the insight that you came to as well and like the positioning of Sprig in the sense like moving at the speed of product today, because I think that is uh, one thing like traditionally like research itself it takes time. We spend weeks or months like putting together these elaborate projects to try and deliver insights. Like, where did the positioning come from in this? And talk to us a little bit about the idea behind that, the concept. When I was working at Weebly, we had a fantastic user research team and they had an appetite to deliver insights faster. And But they were really seeing the tools available on the marketplace. The traditional incumbent survey providers like Qualtrics and SurveyMonkey and a company of that size, you wouldn't use something like Typeform. So we're, we'll focus on the companies that are a little bit further along. And they were frustrated by the, the inability to get the data and analyze the data at the pace of what the product management and design team was looking for. And so you had this really friction where the product management team was starting a new sprint on Monday and they had questions about mockups or product decisions that they're working on. And they only had a few business days to really resolve and understand and make a decision. And for, I think, any company today with that shift of continuous deployment, you're seeing companies you know, deploy, I'm sure at Avrio, daily, weekly, companies at scale like Facebook are deploying every hour and even every minute in many cases. And so if you look at this acceleration of deployment and development, it is always on nature versus research of these long 50, 100 question surveys or a 10 participant interview study that might take four to eight weeks to recruit everyone and synthesize all the data, schedule all the interviews, you see this tension between research and product that will only continue to become more and more aggravated. And so it's how can we really provide that platform between those two teams so they can work successfully together and build better products. Yeah, I definitely see this a lot in our interviews and speaking to the researchers, obviously, in the field. And what you tend to hear is we don't typically have a seat at the table, like our voice is not heard. And I think part of it goes to what you're saying now is just like the time and the cycles it takes to get there are not what they need to be today, like for modern product teams. Let's talk a little bit about positioning, because I think in the context of churn and retention, it plays a big role and it feels like you spent a lot of time working on your positioning at Sprig and maybe you want to talk us a little bit about your research process to figure out like how to position uh, your product in the market and how you went about that in the early days. In the early days, it was really focused on the wheelies of the world. So very early on from day one and the pitch to the investors, it required some patience from our earliest investors, but the underserved opportunity in the market is with the high growth and at scale companies. And so one of our very first customers actually ended up being companies already at scale like Square. And so Square is one of our first customers. And it's really thinking around the needs of companies that have tens and thousands, hundreds, millions. We have customers with tens of millions and hundreds of millions of customers. And so when they want to understand and conduct research with their customers, let's think through first principles of what a platform looks like for a company with a large user base or a quickly scaling user base to understand their customers, knowing that a traditional survey platform doesn't actually work to fulfill those types of needs. So our position was more on the companies that 
we're probably more in that B2C high growth vertical, as opposed to maybe the early stage startups that really maybe had a really small user base and were able to jump on a Zoom with even half their customer base. Yeah, that must have been difficult though in the early days. I think like trying to meet that audience as well, like trying to build a product that's probably not ready for that audience yet, but hitting on that pain point, uh, I think probably must have been one of the things that helped really close those uh, early deals and uh, really solving the problem. Um, how do you see like your research evolving over time? So in the early days, like zero to one, you're really just trying to understand like the pain, the problem point, like fast forward to today, like what has changed at Sprig when it comes to your own user research? What are some of the things that you're looking into today? And are there any sort of different differences in the practices that you're employing yourselves? As you grow with any company, and I saw this at Weebly, is that corporate strategy and product strategy becomes incredibly important and really understanding your company's position in the broader landscape becomes really important. So what we saw at Weebly is that Weebly was really the first drag and drop website builder in the broader industry. But as companies emerge in the space, it became more and more important to think through our strategy and how we fit in the market. At Sprig, what we've seen is that we are now moving into companies of all sizes, and we really have to unpack the other vendors in the space for companies of different sizes. But each company, if you want to break them into the categories of make it to t-shirt size companies, small, medium, and large tech companies, they're each going to have unique sets of needs, but they'll also be using different complementary products to around Sprig. And so when we think around our positioning and how we fit in the market, it becomes much more layered. And you, what we've you know evolved our research thinking is actually conducting research very specifically with maybe a set of small tech companies or medium tech companies or large tech companies and treating each of those very differently when understanding their needs and whether Sprig is delivering on those. Nice. So sp- focusing on very uh, like specific segments of your user base and really breaking it down by company size. I think uh, obviously at that stage, like there's totally different needs, like you say, when you're a very small business versus where you're an enterprise and just the different challenges that go through managing uh, a service like Sprig as well can be uh, a challenge. So let's talk a little bit about the context of churn and retention, like your past experience. I'm interested to see one, like how are you thinking about the challenge, obviously coming from some of your past experiences at Verb and Weebly, is there something that you're thinking about at Sprig today? Is it something like that's top of mind or how are you seeing it going? Forward? First of all, I think data is more than important than ever. So I think particularly in the behavioral side, at least here at Sprig, we're taking analytics very seriously, investing very heavily. We already have the data warehouse, we already have mode, and we have all the dashboards across all the different data points and what's working or not working across the business. And in past experiences, I think we maybe added the data too late in the company's journeys. And I think you mentioned Hotjar perhaps added analytics and really robust analytics. You maybe had some different expectations coming in, even at 20 people. So I think the first thing is it is really important zero to one to only focus on qual. Really that qualitative data, talking to customers, analytics to your point isn't really super valuable. But once you have the analytics in place, you do start to scale. It is really looking at all the different types of customers and you have to really segment by the jobs to be done and some customers will have different jobs to be done than others that could be by market segment that could be by role that could be by industry 
but really breaking the customers that you have into the dimensions that you see are most distinct on the jobs to be done. And one of the biggest lessons for me around churn and retention has been that all of the churn and retention issues, if you actually wanna act on improving churn and retention, it almost always has to be at the onboarding process. And so people always are doing exit surveys. You know, we, you still, I still recommend an exit survey when someone cancels or someone doesn't come back to a product, but they've already made that decision. And there's actually nothing actionable you can do when someone is canceling or disengaging with the product. That decision was made days, weeks, months, potentially years ago. And so you have to really go upstream to see what's working. And you know how we approached at Weebly with companies of typically smaller, but many different verticals, yoga studios, churches, education, unpacking the different verticals, looking at what was working or not working in the analytics data, but then looking at the root cause at the very beginning of the journey to understand why that particular segment was churning or disengaging with the product experience. Yeah, for sure. I don't know like how many episodes uh, we've done now on the podcast, uh, but I could say like by far one of the biggest and most impactful areas is always onboarding. The conversation always gravitates back to that. And I think if you have a problem, the first instinct for people is let's go and see why people are churning. When really what you should be doing is like seeing what's make what are making other people successful and how can we make more people successful. So I think this, uh, the mindset and the shift as well comes from that experience. And you mentioned jobs to be done. I think one of the most popular episodes uh, still to this day was with Basecamps. He was at Basecamp previously, Ryan Singer, where he spoke to their sort of their jobs to be done research methodology. And he like on the show, when I asked him about churn retention, we don't have a problem with churn retention. I've never worked at a company where churn was an issue because we got so deep into our customers' problems, we got so deep into their jobs to be done, and we really were specific and focused on who we were serving and we understood how we could serve them better. And, and like onboarding and things like that was then made a priority as such. Very interesting you say that. And I agree with you as well. Like, don't get me wrong, Hotjar, by the time I left, we had a super sophisticated analytics. Uh, I was heading up the business intelligence team at the time. Uh, and I agree with you though, it is a stage like the, that makes most sense for it, but still the earlier you get things set up and you get things right. One of the big trends like I'm seeing, and I'm interested to hear your perspective on this as well, is like previously we most companies split up user research UX and uh, data analytics into two different silos. And you have user research going off on one end and doing their research practice. And you have data analytics producing reports and working and uh, receiving requests. More and more these companies I've seen like Shopify, Spotify, and others where they're employing mixed methods and they're getting data scientists to work directly with user researchers. What is your opinion on this? Is this something you're seeing as well? It's something, definitely a trend that we're seeing here at Sprig, particularly with our larger customers. And you always want to figure out how you can take the research data that's in silos and integrate that with the behavioral data and the revenue data and the other types of data. And so far, that's actually one of the challenges I want to solve with Sprig is bringing all those data sets together. One of the bigger challenges that we've seen with the more traditional research products is they don't actually have an event-based architecture. And so at Sprig, one of the first things that we did, and again, talked about the early days of building for companies at scale to bring those data sets together. You do have to have an event-based architecture. You have to have user IDs and events and attaching qualitative data to events that you know took place. So you actually yeah. know who the person was and what they did and tying that you know qualitative data to a particular action. 
And I think the challenge a lot of product managers are maybe conflicted with is that you see A-B tests saying one thing and user research saying another, or a feature flag saying one thing and user research saying another, or a data science bringing a data set saying, hey, we analyze millions and millions of users and here's what we found and user research coming in and saying, hey, we talked to five customers and here's what we found. And yeah. you have this friction, you have this, these two parties at odds. The data science team always thinks that the user researchers haven't, they don't have that group that's large enough to a meaningful sample. But then you have the researchers pointing to the data and saying, hey, that's great that they did this, but you don't really understand why. And we figure that out. Yeah. And so what, what we're often seeing at Sprig is that a lot of people are taking our you know, contextual approach to research. And then they're able to integrate the research qualitative data into the A-B tests. And so one really interesting example, and this is actually a surprise use case for me. I didn't expect the platform to be used in this way, yeah. but many of our customers are actually integrating Sprig into their A-B testing infrastructure. And when they're running A-B tests, they're actually able to ask the same question around, about the change that they're making. And so if they're looking to improve the design for maybe completing a certain action and they roll out that new redesign, yeah. they're able to look at the qualitative data and potentially see a lift from what the users are thinking in that A-B test, but then also have the A-B test conversion data to see is there a positive business impact, but also a positive user impact. And if you can get both, that's always the gold standard in delivering an experience. Because everyone knows about hiding the cancel button or hiding the button to, and it's gonna increase revenue, but it's really gonna piss off all these customers. So it's how can you get both of those aligned? And that's always that, that always results in that award-winning experience. For sure. And I think that's also a, a lot of like more risky, we're going to call the risky experience, like people are a bit concerned when running experiments when it comes to pricing and packaging and things like this, because you just never know how people are perceiving things and putting out. But I love the, the fact, like you mentioned, having an event-based architecture allows you to be able to collect qualitative responses at the time when you may be running A-B tests. I think that's an amazing use case. And I could definitely see like that being applied at uh, some of the experiments we ran in the past at Hotjar where you really just, you the data was one side of it, but you also wanted to get like what people were feeling about this experience as well. Because like you say, you can optimize and you can engineer and you can hack your way to improve metrics, but then understanding like how your customer perceives the product and how they're enjoying it and is something else on top of that as well. It's very often that like the data can lie to you. And there's a great quote, I think, if you torture the data enough, it'll confess to anything. And like, I think the one thing that's not going to lie to you is your customers and uh, hearing their direct experience. So. Very powerful stuff. Ryan, one question I have for you that I ask every guest that joins the show. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario that you join a new company, churn and retention is not doing great. And the CEO comes to you and says, we really need to turn things around. We need to turn things around quite quickly. We have 90 days uh, to try and make an impact. You're in charge. What do you do? But the catch here is that you don't go and you're not allowed to go and speak to customers and understand what the biggest pain point is and run with that because that's what everybody's answer would be. You're just going to choose something that you've seen that's been effective in the past for reducing churn quickly, some tactic to previous company, and you're going to run with that blindly and hope it works. What would it be? I'll have to think about this one for a second. Yeah. Because I'm guessing your immediate response was going to speak to customers and then understand. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing that churn and retention is almost always stemming from successes or challenges during the onboarding phase, 
We actually just bought a vendor in February and we decided an annual contract and we decided to churn and switch to another vendor two months later. And we already canceled the auto renew. We told them we're not continuing. It almost always happens in the beginning of how successful someone is in the first 30 or 60 or 90 days. The challenge that I often see with products today is that the attention span is so short. People often aren't fully understanding the value of the product. And so if I was going to do one thing very blindly, it would be to look at the simplest path in that product to deliver an aha moment and really look to abstract away everything else outside of that one single specific path. And the onboarding flow that I've always, I've done, you know, probably close to hundred hours of user testing onboarding flows you know, across my career. The path that always works the best is show, don't tell. And what that looks like is that you typically log, you sign up for the product, you land in the product, and it might have a welcome modal covering the product, building the excitement for the ask that you're about to make to have that person go down the flow. So you got to get the excitement high before you have them jump through the hoops and you say, Hey, we're so excited. You're here. You have that magic moment. I know Asana has things like unicorns flying across the screen. You want to generate that excitement. And then you get through that moment of excitement into the product and you have passive tool tips. And so active tool tips where it grays out the entire screen and you can't do anything. People hate those. They'll leave. They'll be frustrated. You never want to force people down certain flows. So what I found always works best is passive tool tips. They're sitting there. They're telling you what to do. People will go off on their own and get stuck, but they'll know that there was actually a clue pointing on where to go in the product. And so the passive tooltip, you close that modal, that passive tooltip will say, hey, we here's where you should go next. And then the person will see that passive tooltip. They'll click into that next step. And those tooltips just sitting there don't go away until someone completes that action. And so this accounts for the people that want to go down the wrong path, but then come back and reset and go down the right path that you're recommending them to go down and pointing them to that aha moment, whether it's Facebook's five friends or Slack, a certain number of messages, but abstracting away and just getting them to the simplest thing that you can do to deliver value. And if you can do that at a high degree, then the you downstream I would expect a significantly higher, lower churn rate and higher engagement rate because they understand your product's value proposition. And you've been able to really successfully communicate with as many people as possible what your product offers to them. Nice. Yeah, I think going back to the original point that you made as well about onboarding being the biggest impact, I think it makes a lot of sense to, to start here. I also like how you basically just say like strip everything out of the way. Like often people just want to show every like bell and whistle that the product does every feature and just focusing on that one key action that can really be powerful. Like how do you go about understanding what that key action is like that you want to be driving your users through often products may have two or three. I think in your case, you have two or three different features like people could lean into. How are you about going about setting them up for the right path that you want them to take? I think first of all, it's looking at what can you do in a what's called single player mode, 
you don't need other teammates. I think Slack might be at a disadvantage there. You need to invite someone to get value. It's like the fax machine. You can't just have one person faxing themselves. And so what's a, that single player mode where someone immediately within two to three minutes, again, attention spans are very short and they're getting shorter and shorter every year. So what's the thing you can do to immediately deliver value in single player mode for the individual person? And what is probably the quickest action that they can do? And so at Sprig, we have integrated contextual microsurveys, which is often multiplayer. You need often an engineer, probably like Hotjar, the engineer might add the code for you, or you might do it through Google Tag Manager, but you might not have that access yourself to Google Tag Manager. And so that's probably more of like multiplayer where you need multiple people involved. That could be a multi-day activation. With Sprig, it could be something like taking a Figma link and dropping it into Sprig and creating a concept test that you can have a shareable link and share that with one of your customers. Or it could be even a video interview. We have asynchronous video interviews, recording a couple of videos, giving that person a shareable link, and they can then maybe share it with someone. That is probably as close as we can get, given that we're a research company, to yeah. uh, you know single player, because we're just removing the process of launching that survey to a single person. And you still might need someone else to respond, but at least you're set up to share that link with someone. And that's probably as far as we can get as quickly as possible to demonstrate and show value. Yeah, I think this point on the time to value, there's two aspects to it I think I've seen from the podcast is one, uh, and I think this came out in an interview with Sean Klaus, who was previously at Atlassian and he was building their growth team there. And in the early days, they found like the very biggest indicator they found when it came to churn retention was the amount of time people spent in their first session in the product. And the greater that amount of time increased, the more chance and likelihood they had of retaining. And it was the only metric that was like the highest correlated to retention. And then obviously they came down to like really understanding the onboarding, making sure they captured the attention from the beginning and adding that value from day one. The other side, though, I've like heard uh, the opposite in cases where adding friction to onboarding has actually helped companies. For example, Segment's case, like Segment Analytics, speaking to them in the early days, they had found out that like customers were just getting started with their product. They try to make it seamless and easy to get going. Uh, and Ellen Dorfman shared this, is that they realized at some point that this was not setting them up for success because... The whole point of segment was to make sure that you had a good clean analytics stack and you had a really solid tracking plan in place that you had governance behind it. So you would solve all the mess that you had prior to that. And just allowing people just to get started on their own was allowing them to create that mess. Uh, so they actually introduced a step where you needed to go through and work with them and set up a tracking plan before you could get started with the product. Um, and that on the flip side, like really increased uh, retention. So I think it this it depends on the product as well. At the same point, like you say, that single player mode or multiplayer mode segment's not a tool. I think it's a single player mode. Like you need to have your team, you need to have your engineers. And uh, but I, really, I really like the points on onboarding focus. Yeah, I'll, I'll add as well. I think for segment, they require multiplayer. There's no single player possibility. Yeah. And so I can certainly see how they need to set up that multiplayer you know, situation for success which probably means a call and looking at the data and mapping things out, knowing that one person they sell primarily to marketers cannot be successful on there. I think too, the challenge for the other example you mentioned is that the, whether it's causation or correlation on time spent 
in that first session and someone being engaged in the future. Because I would say that, of course, someone spending more time is going to be more likely to stay with the product. But generally, you want to look for that causal metric and something that maybe is less correlative and, and is more really that driver around future. Last question then I have for you today is what's one thing that you today about channel retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? Yeah, I definitely covered the main one, which is just looking really far up the funnel to the very beginning, the sign-up flow, the onboarding process. I think the other one is people are far, they signed up for a reason. And I think a lot of people like to hide behind analytics data and just make guesses, maybe watch screen recordings of people and try to make guesses. But jobs, if you think around the jobs to be done concept, you hire a product for a reason. And that reason is serving a purpose in your life. And you provided your email and you set a password and you went through that signup flow because you wanted to a better version of yourself or your company or whatever you're looking to achieve. And I think a lot of product managers and designers miss the mark is that you have to really just ask those people, what were you hoping to achieve with that product? And why did that product fall short? because they'll tell you because they are there for a reason. They're using the product for a reason. They wanted something out of the product and the product didn't deliver. It fell short for a particular reason, or maybe there is something externally that caused them to disengage and churn and not come back. But people are far more invested in the success of your product than I think many product managers realize. And so I've learned to really involve them in the success of the product and in the business and understanding that they want that product to succeed. They want it to deliver on their jobs to be done. They want that better version of themselves or that company that they're working at to, you know, grow a little bit further and grow a little bit faster. And so just don't be afraid to, whether it's with Sprig or with other tools, just to reach out and talk to them because they signed up for a reason. And I think the more that you really realize that, I think the better you're off. Yeah, I can 100% agree with that. And this literally happened this week where a team member was helping somebody out on Intercom with a support request. And we're also busy doing our own user research at the moment for something new we're looking to introduce. And I sent a message like, why not ask them to participate in the research? And the response was, lol, they just complained about a bug. I was like, yeah, but ask anyone. And then the response came back the next day. She didn't respond that day, but the next day the response, yeah, I'd absolutely love that. Please uh, send it to me when you want. So you'd be surprised like how much people actually want you to succeed in their lives, especially like you say, if they've come to you for a reason, like they're trying to solve this problem and you're presenting and you're trying to, to help in that endeavor. I think people are a lot more willing to help than you think. Ryan, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. So is there any sort of final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of or how can they keep up to speed with your work? Definitely check out sprig.com. And so we have a really generous free plan at the stage. We're really just looking to get folks set up, conducting more research. We offer asynchronous research with video interviews, concept tests, and also contextual microsurveys right within your product experience or over email. So sign up, create your account. We have a very generous help chat as well. So you can ask questions and get those all sorted out. So love to see everyone create account and run some research with Sprig and hear what is working or not working with your customers. And also really excited to uh, partner with Avrio as well and really get the Sprig data into Avrio and be a partner with with you as well. And, And just make sure that people can look at Sprig data along with all their other behavioral 
revenue data, all the other insights that are being gathered across other research vendors as well. And so excited to be a part of your journey and grow that research space and grow that understanding of customers together. Very nice one. Yeah, thanks so much for that. And we'll definitely make sure if you're listening, there'll be in the show notes links to uh, Sprig and other resources we mentioned today on the show. So thanks so much for joining and I wish you best of luck now going forward. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.